They're having a big back-to-school party tonight, so they don't, you don't want them to miss that. They're going to have a great time, all the workers back there in those classes. They've been preparing all week for just a great time. So, Hey, before we, um, can you turn me down just a, a little bit? Before we uh, get into the message, I want to share a couple of things I felt like God was just putting in my heart during the, during the worship set. You know, I'm, I'm what I refer to as a keeper. It's different from a hoarder, right? Hoard, right? Hoarder, hoarders keep things that they don't use. Keepers only keep things that they use. Does that make sense, the difference between the two? But both can be problematic in your life, right? I'm not, I'm not justifying my condition. It is it's still a condition. So, 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 so a keeper is somebody who, who you, 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 if, as long as you're using it, you just keep using it, and you probably use it for a lot longer than you're supposed to, even long after you should have replaced it. Does that make sense? It's, it's either outdated or it's older or it's, it's worn out. And so, like, for example, I have, I have some dress sandals that I've not worn all summer because Nate Nawatney started making fun of me when I came here in 2007. And uh, he's sitting over there now. So he calls them my John the Baptist sandals. So I retired them, but they're still in my closet. So, but I'm going to get rid of them. You know, I'm going to take some pictures and I'll send them to Nate. I'm gonna, I should actually box them up and mail them to Nate as a... As a, as a gift. So, so you know, I, I, I wore those longer than, than I should have. Does that make sense? So, so this morning, Vanessa and I went out and we were doing some, some suit shopping. I don't wear a suit very often, but when I do weddings and funerals and things like that, then you know, I want to make sure that I'm respecting the occasion. And the suits that I've had, I've, I've had, I've really just four suits. Two, two I've had for more than 15 years. And then, t- I know, I did you hear Vanessa cackling over there? And he hung his head in shame. For me, he just he's, he hung his head, and then and then two I probably had for for about ten. So I was like, you know, I should I should I should, I need to get some new suits. But I got four weddings coming up, so I got some new. So I'm a keeper, right? Because they still look nice. I take good care of my things, and so. But you know, Vanessa keeps reminding me, it's time, honey, <laughs> it's time, and she gently coaxes me into a moment of change. So I'm sharing that with because sometimes we're, we're keepers of other kinds of things that have nothing to do with things that are tangible sometimes we're keepers of things in here we can be keeper with offenses right with things that people have done to us that have hurt us we we keep those offenses we keep the feelings that are connected longer than we should patterns of 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 destructive behavior we keep them longer than relationships that are that are unhealthy and the influences those relationships bring in we we keep them longer that you're with me there's oftentimes in life we hold on to things that we're supposed to, to, to let go of. And so I just want to pray into that before we move forward into the, into the message. Father, for, for, for people that are here tonight who might say that they're a keeper, that there's something or maybe there's a list of things that they've just been holding on to for just way too long. And it, it's just time to put them down because you've got some things that you want them to pick up. And it's hard for us, Father, to pick up the things that you want to put into our hands when they're full of things that you're trying to help us to understand it's time to let go. Just for every person that's here tonight, Father, and just the sacredness of this moment, the gentleness of this moment, the holiness of this moment. Maybe some people here, even as we pray, they can see the thing. Maybe they can see all the things. Maybe it's they can imagine a room and everything that, that's, that's stirring in their heart from the minute we started talking about being a keep. They just see it as a big pile in the room that they're just going to have a sense of letting those things go. They'll just have a sense of loading those things up onto 
a raft by they stand by the dock and they're just going to cut the rope that is tied to the cleat and they're just going to push that stuff away and let the tide take it out. And that we turn to you, God, with empty, open arms. And we want our hands to be only and always filled with the things that you have given to us. In Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together. Amen. Amen. Hey, so we're wrapping up a series that we've been in for the, 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 the back half of the summer entitled Mayhem. We've been having some fun with the Allstate commercials. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about every week the statement that they make that if you don't have the right kind of insurance, when mayhem comes, it's going to cost you more than it should. And how Jesus is really the first person to ever make this statement in John 16. And we're going to go there in a minute. But but lots of our messages have kind of focused on this idea of let's not add to our problems, right? I mean, God has a lot of mayhem that's planned for us to build our character, to build our faith. There's lots of hardship that he leads us through because he knows that it's, it's good for us. And so he says, hey, don't add to your own problems. And so we've been having some fun with this iPhone game called Dumb Ways to Die. And, 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 uh, and so we said, let's make it a contest. Let's see who can get the highest score. And because and, uh, that game is all about, you know, just doing foolish things. And so we said, hey, the, the, the uh, uh, regional manager for Allstate gave us this wonderful cooler. You can hook up your uh, MP3 player to the front of it. It's got speakers. And, and as I promised, it's got six bottles of Mexican Coke in here. These were smuggled into the New Norfolk airport just this morning, so I was late because I was in a police chase on the way here, and uh, so here they are, right? It's even, you know, in Spanish right here on the label, and they are cold, and so, yes, indeed, and there is a bottle opener on the side. Is, do we, there's a tithe, isn't there? Can I take a tenth of, uh, should have got ten, and I could have kept one bottle for myself, right? So, all right, so, so there's a bottle opener that's on the bag, and so so here's the, uh, are you ready for the winner? Let me give you the score. Can I give you the score? The person's not here, but their, their, their spouse is. And so, since we believe that the two shall become one, well, they get to get it. So it's theological. So, all right, the, the high score. Any, anybody anybody want to guess what the high score was? Anybody want to guess? Come on, somebody guess. Somebody guess the high score. 10,000? No, not high enough. Not 50. Not 30, a little bit lower. Who, who said 21 over here? Nice. Nice. You said 21 too? Nice. It was 21,146. I can never, never even get to 2,000, right? 21,146. And you know, who, you know who it is? Yeah. Stephanie White, the wife of our student ministry's pastor. Nice. Nice. She's at a... Uh, at a baby shower in, in Richmond, and so she kept asking me, do I have to be there to win it? Because I'm going to win. She, 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 if, if you know Stephanie, you know when she says, I'm going to win. We knew, right? It was over. But when she sat her, she was like, I'm going to win that cooler. And so there it is. And I think she might actually use it as a handbag next week just to taunt everybody else who didn't get it, right? Who didn't get it. So, And we had some fun with the Mexican Coke. And so like last week, David tweeted and said, what's a Mexican Coke? And I realized that maybe some people might be a little suspicious of that, that it does not have anything to do with the DEA. And uh, so he said, what's Mexican Coke? And so we put some Mexican Coke bottles on his car in the parking lot, hashtag clad, in full swing last Saturday night. And so it's different, isn't it? It's a whole different, they use cane sugar, not the high fructose corn syrup. So it's good, it's good. All right, so, so Stephanie, we're all cheering 
her on that she's the winner, although I'm not really sure that's something that she should be too proud of. So anyways, all right, here we go. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And if you've never memorized a verse of Scripture before, this is a great one. We, I hope some of you have done that. Uh, throughout this series. If you've not, then maybe even just reminding you again tonight, it's a great verse for you to have in your heart that you can share. And so this verse in John 16, I want to go there. I'm going to back up just a little bit. I'm going to start reading in verse 31. Jesus is in, he's, he's coming down to his last right moments of his, his, his life. He's in his final days. And it says, Jesus asked, do you finally believe? But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. There's mayhem that's coming, he's saying. Yet I, listen to what he says, am not alone, because the Father is with me. Verse 33, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have trials, you will have sorrows, you will have mayhem. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Jesus is telling us something powerful here. He's saying, hey, there is a lot that mayhem will cost you. There is a lot that trouble will bring to your life, whether it's from the hand of God or through your own foolish choices and behavior. But one of the things that it should never cost you is your sense of inner peace. This sense of peace that you can have on the inside that only God can give should be something that anchors you throughout life. And that's what Jesus is trying to say to the disciples, and he's saying it to us tonight. He's, he's, we know that he's about ready to step into some mayhem. Are we right? right? If you've ever seen The, 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 the Passion of Christ, the, the, the most recent movie made by that, you can appreciate these final hours. There's mayhem that he's getting ready to step into, but he says to the disciples, hey, but there's a peace that I have in here that the world will never be able to touch. And he's looking at his disciples and he's saying, I want you to know the joy of having a peace just like that. Isaiah prophesied about this peace when he wrote these words, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So tonight, as part of the series, as the wrap-up of the series, as the finale of the series, we've been spending a lot of time talking about how not to add to the mayhem of your life. And then we spent one weekend talking about how you can take some steps towards having this sense of inner peace. And I want to go back to that tonight and add to that list. So we're... We put one of the things down in one of our weeks. You can get it online. The podcast or the notes are there that, that when you have a sense of confidence in being able to hear God's voice, it gives you a sense of peace on the inside that's immovable and unshakable. And I want to add to that list tonight how this sense of peace can be inside of you for the rest of your life. So we like participation here at the City Life Church. And so uh, we, 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 uh, we like to get your brain moving in the right direction. So, so when you think about conditional relationships, meaning that there are conditions for acceptance, there, there are con conditions to, to, to be in the relationships, right? And sometimes it could, you, you might think of a negative situation. It could be a positive thing, like every NFL team right now is getting their roster down to the right size, right? There were conditions about Tim Tebow continuing to be a part of the Patriots, right? Are you with me? Every other player, right? There are conditions, and some, so sometimes conditions, they're healthy. Sometimes conditional relationships can be unhealthy. What are some examples of conditional relationships in life? Somebody? Anybody? In the back, Dustin. Yeah, with your work, right? There's some conditions. If you don't know that there are conditions at your job, you're about ready to find that out because your boss is probably going to meet with you on Monday, right? 
colleges. There are conditions. There are grades. There are tests that you have to take. There are conditions for acceptance. There are conditions for approval. Somebody else? Anybody? Gil? Military. Anybody else here in the military? Are there any conditions with what you, right? There are lots of conditions. Shani, are there not? Yes. And sometimes those conditions are not good. Somebody else? Dale, marriage. Yes, conditions. There should be. Nursery workers. That's exactly right. There are conditions, right? You're glad for that. Somebody else? Anybody? Conditions? Conditional relationships. Amy, a child's love for you. Yeah? Jessica. Jenna. The worship team. Yeah, there are conditions, right? You might like music, but you might be like me and you can't sing, right? So they don't let me up there on the platform. So there are conditions. And sometimes, right, there can be situations and circumstances where there are conditions. Sometimes parents have conditions over their kids, which can be unhealthy, right? Can manipulate based on withholding affection and things like that. So it can be in romantic relationships. Although there are healthy conditions, there can also be unhealthy conditions. We move throughout life. The longer that you live, you realize that lots of relationships have conditions in life, but there are some relationships, especially this one in particular, where there are none and shall never be. Romans 8, Vanessa was a great wrap-up, didn't know I was going to be coming out of this tonight, so there must be something more in here for us. All right, Romans 8, let's start reading in verse 38. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all of creation. That's a big statement, right? Because there's a lot in creation. There is nothing in all of creation that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm going to be reading a, a few different times out of this book. If, if this idea of God's love is new for you, or, or you know that, that maybe you've got an unhealthy view of God's love, this book by S.J. Hill, Enjoying God, I used this about three years ago when I introduced it to the church, and just going back to it tonight, it is an amazing book about God's love. This is a great read for you. If you know someone that is struggling with the acceptance of God, this is a great book that you could give them as a gift. I'm going to start reading here on page two. It says, you may not realize it, but the Father is ravished by you. It's a great line, isn't it? You make him smile. You make him laugh. You make him leap for joy. You make his heart beat faster. In Zephaniah 3.17, the Bible even says that you make him sing for joy. Whether you understand that or not doesn't stop God from responding to you in that way. He looks at you and he grins. He sees your hair, not mine, but yours. He sees your hair, your skin, your smile, and he rejoices. He loves you just the way that you are. He loves your uniqueness. He loves the smile that only your face can radiate. He loves you when you're awake vibrant and full of life. He loves you when you're down and struggling and lethargic. He even loves you when you're sleeping. He gets excited when you wake up. He cannot wait to hear your voice. He looks forward to your first thoughts. He loves accompanying you throughout the day. He enjoys being with you at work. He isn't watching the clock or tapping his toe until five o'clock. Just being with you is enough. It's powerful, isn't it, to think about God loving us like that? 
He loves talking with you, traveling with you, and being tender with you. He loves watching you enjoy His creation. He smiles when you look at the mountains, the sea, and the sky, and think of Him. The truth is, God really likes you. In fact, He enjoys you. He isn't just tolerating you. Ever been around someone that's tolerating you, right? They're around you because there's a sense of obligation, but you really, there's no real sense of affection that's coming from them. It's never that way with our Father in heaven. He isn't just putting up with you. He isn't waiting for you to get older or more mature in your Christian walk before he can love and enjoy you. He loves you right where you are. It's rich, isn't it? It just gives us a sense of permission to be accepted. That when it comes to God's love, there's no condition. Just as you are. You might be in here tonight and your life might be a wreck and a mess. And God says, I love you just the same. You might be in here tonight and the story of your past causes you to hang your head in shame. And if Billy Graham himself were sitting right next to you, God would say, I love you both the same. If you can think of the most perfect person that you've ever known and ever met, and then you were to stand next to them, you might feel a little bit self-conscious, but when God would come up to both of you, his sense of affection that's in his heart does not change based on who you are. It is the beauty and the magnificence of unconditional love. And I would say it gets to the place where maybe it's even unfathomable, that it's hard for us to even grasp how you could love someone that big. His love is without condition. All right, any, any historians in here tonight? Who, who can tell me who Richard Danforth is? Any hands can shoot up for me? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Richard Danforth. Any takers? Any takers? Come on. It's, it's got to be you. You've got to know this. Yes, he invented the Danforth anchor, Doug Facile, who was a Navy diver for career. I kept looking over here because he's a diver and there's boaters here. So I got a Starbucks gift card for you there. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. So I brought my Danforth anchor tonight. Because you know that I like to boat. This anchor is awfully banged up because I am a keeper. You can tell because we, we were, we're, we're, we're newbie boaters. We were newbie boaters. Sometimes we for, would forget to pull up anchor before we would drive away. Which quickly causes your boat to go in a circle. And can also put a nice big bend in your anchor, so, but it still works, and I'm a keeper, all right. So the Danforth anchor is a unique design. It wasn't, it wasn't invented until the 1940s, not until the 1940s, so it's relatively new in the, in the anchor world. So when we're out boating and we find a spot where we want to anchor up, which means that we typically want to eat or we want to go swimming or we find a place that's kind of maybe the, the river gets a little bit bigger and we can get off to the side and out of the way of the other boats are going to be passing by, and we've got some places on the Chickahominy River that we always like to go and, and anchor up to relax and swim and hang out. So whenever we do that, we get the nose of the boat pointed in the direction of the current. We get against the current, right? 
So the, we, we pay attention as we're out boating which way the current's flowing. So we get the nose of the boat pointed in the direction of the current. Then I go to the bow of the boat. The boat's in neutral and under the seat cushion where I keep the anchor. I toss the anchor over the front of the boat. And then I pay attention to how much rope comes out because then we know whether or not you can dive or whether you can just jump. And so the anchor finally gets to the bottom. The rope slacks out. And then I let a little bit of slack out. And then I tie it off to the cleat on the front of the boat. But I don't turn the boat off until I see this rope fully taut, which tells me that the current has pulled the boat so that the pointy part of the bottom part of the Danforth anchor can dig in, and we call it the anchor bites, and it goes deep into the clay soil of the riverbed. And then the boat is stationary. And then as soon as that happens, we cut the boat off, the engine stops and we're anchored up and the current kind of keeps some tension on it so the anchor stays and then I look off onto the shoreline and I find a point of reference it might be the uh, a bright colored rooftop on a house it might be a certain boat that's better than mine that I like to look at and, and envy right and uh, or, or it might be a tree sometimes it's a tree that just looks different from all the other trees right and that becomes my reference point and the whole time we're there anchored up every now and again I look over and I see where I am relative to the reference point you can pretend like the emergency light over there on the wall and that tells me that we're not adrift you tracking with me it tells me, right, if I'm at the back of the boat, I can't see if the rope's still taut. It tells me that we're still anchored in. Now, I'm, I'm sharing that with you, and we're going to work our way through this thing tonight together, is that you can know that God loves you. You can read it in this book. I can read it to you in Romans 8. But until something in particular happens, which I'm going to share with you tonight, it will always just be a reference point on the shoreline for you, but it will not be the anchor that holds you in place in the storms of life to give you a sense of a perfect peace. You can know that it's there. You can see it. But God doesn't want you to just know it. He doesn't want you to just see it. He wants it to be an anchor for you in the storms of life so that there is a perfect peace inside of you that even when there's mayhem all around you, that you can look up and see his promise and know that promise belongs to you and that you're safe. You with me? All right, so we're going to go after it together. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, I'm going to start reading in 16. Many of us are familiar with this text. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, but, but, but so often people don't keep reading. John three sixteen. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now, this is an important thing to remember here, right? Because we know that John is not the only book in the New Testament, right? There's other books in the New Testament. And when you get to the book of Revelation, we read a lot. We've read about some out of there in this series. When, when God says he did not come into the world to judge, it doesn't mean that he's not ever going to be a judge. He's not here to be a judge the first time that he comes. You with me? He came the first time to be a savior but when he comes back the next time, he comes as a judge of the kingdom. You with me? He comes to save, and then later when you read in the book of Revelation, you see he comes to judge. 
So God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, because that wasn't his purpose for the first time he came, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Verse 19, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but the people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Verse 21, but those who do what is right, they come into the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. It's interesting, isn't it? Because right there in the text, Jesus says, hey, the reason why we don't like to come into the light of God's presence, the reason why we don't want to come into the light, I would say, of God's love, because that's how Jesus sets it up, by saying, for God so loved the world, right? So he talks about love, all the things that he could have talked about, right? He's introduced this idea of unconditional love. He's, he's talking about love, and then the very next place he goes, he goes to a place of judgment, right? So he says, the, the light of my love, my light is, is, a, is, is, a, is a love that illuminates your life. We, people don't like to come into it because they're afraid that God is going to see things that we're trying to hide. And the foolishness of that is that we cannot hide anything from God. Right? There's a proverb that says, the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. It's funny, isn't it? And I think it was Juice that preached some time ago about this idea that children, when they're young, they don't have the, the, the understanding of object permanence, right? So when they put their hands over their eyes, they really don't understand that you can still see them, right? They, they, emotionally and psychologically, when they're little, they think, if I can't see you, then right, you can't see me. And we treat God that way, okay? If I can hide this stuff from other people, then really I'm hiding it from him, but we can hide nothing from God. And at some point, we break through this revelation of this idea that God sees all and he knows all. The Bible even said he understands and knows the intents and the motivations of my heart. And some, sometimes we, we break past that and we begin to acknowledge that, yes, God sees, every, he sees every, everything. He knows everything. He knows my thoughts, even thoughts that I wouldn't dare tell other people. He knows those thoughts. But even in those moments, guess what? We still shrink back from him, don't we? We shrink back from him because we know when we begin to move forward in our relationship with him and we begin to step into the light of his love, there is an expectation of change. We understand that when I begin this journey of a relationship with God, that his love for me is unconditional, but his judgment of me is filled with conditions. His blessings that he gives to me are often with condition. The principles of godly living are often with condition. And the place that so many people often get confused, they say, well, God's love for me is unconditional. It is, but it doesn't mean that there aren't conditions once you begin that relationship with him. And one of the great conditions that we find when we begin a journey with God is that there are conditions for change. He loves us just the way that we are, but because he loves us, he doesn't leave us that way. There is nothing that you can do to cause God to love you any less. But whether or not you're going to walk in the fullness of the blessings of this book has everything to do with condition. There is nothing my children could ever do that would cause me to love them any less. But if I'm a good father, there's going to be lots of conditions that I place upon them for their behavior, for their attitude. You with me? For the choices that they make. 
God's love, Romans 8, it's true. His love for you, his love for you is without condition. But that love, that unconditional love is a light that is supposed to expose the things inside of us that he wants to take us on a journey of change. Because there is one day a judgment that's going to come. There's a judgment that's going to come one day to, to choose between everybody who's made a decision for Christ and those who haven't. That's another sermon for another time, but we're all eternal and we're either going to spend an eternity in perdition or we're going to spend an eternity in paradise. There's a moment of judgment. What did you do with the knowledge of my son and even beyond that? And there's lots of controversy amongst Christian scholars about what that judgment's going to look like. That Even for people that come into heaven, the Bible, I think, is clear that God's going to have a conversation with us about how we did in this life i want to do everything that i can for that conversation to go as best as it can you with me it's not going to be perfect i'm going to make mistakes but i want my performance evaluation as a human being to wrap up with well done my good and faithful servant this is hard for us to understand even the people that will be condemned to an eternity in hell because they rejected Christ, God loves those people just as much as he loves us. His love is unconditional, but his judgment of us is filled with condition. All right, let's keep going. Proverbs 20, 27. Now this is out of the King James Bible. We use different renderings. We, I use the New Living Translation most of the time, and when I'm not using that, I'll usually will throw out there uh, uh, what, what, what we're using. This is out of the King James. Some verses in the Bible, it, it changes little from one translation to the next, whether it's NIV or New American Standard or New King James, King James, New Living Translation, right? Some change very little, but then there's some that change a lot. This one changes a lot. If, if you're a note taker and a researcher, you might want to throw that up in your Bible app. You'll find all the different ways that this verse changes. But I think Proverbs 20, 27 gets it the best in the King James. The spirit of man or woman, the spirit of people, is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, this is an ancient text. It was written to a, a Jewish audience, and for them, the inward part of your belly was a very poetic way of them talking about the inward part of who you are. Not your physical belly, but the deepest part of who you are. That's why it's connected to your spirit. It's talking about the eternal part of who you are. It's the part of you that makes you you. It's the part of you that makes you special. Peter in the New Testament calls it the kruptos anthropos cardia in the Greek, the hidden person of the heart. It's what separates us from every other thing in creation. That's why in the book of Genesis it talks about us bearing the image of God, that we are eternal, that we're going to live forever. And because we're people, there's something inside of us, a spirit that God has put there that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with him. And not just any sort of relationship. I think it's beyond, it's beyond my ability to understand, but the Bible puts it in there. It's the kind of relationship where he lives inside of us. How, how, how does a God who, where the universe is not big enough to contain him, but yet he finds a way to fit inside of us. It's something that only a sovereign God could do. There's a part of you, for many of us in life, for me, I didn't make a vow of devotion to Christ until I was 23. There's an emptiness. There's a, there's a void that we try to fill with so many other things. But until we make a vow of devotion to Christ and take our first spiritual breath and the Spirit of God, the presence of God comes and lives inside of us, I'm telling you, it's indescribable. And when he comes and lives inside of us, it says that 
He is a candle when he gets there searching. And I'm going to add something here for things to change. He comes because he wants to go on a journey with you and me to say, let's fix this. Let's change that. If you ever bought a home, an important step is that you hire a building inspector to come and go through the home and they've got their clipboard and their pen, right? And they're going through and they work for you, not the person that's selling the house. If you've ever bought a house, you don't want them to provide the inspector, right? You want to do that. You want them to be working on your best end. They've got this big list that they give to you to help you see the things that need to change about that home to make it better. God's love for us is unconditional, but it is a candle that burns bright inside of us. Let me contemporize it a little bit, right? How about a tactical LED light, right? I like these two because they're, if, if you're familiar with tactical lights, they're sharpened on the end like a knife because it's a tactical knife because sometimes, I mean, tactile, sometimes you might have to use it as a weapon. I, I like to picture God with one of these, right? Because I've got stuff in my life that I need him to kill, right? You have stuff in your life, whether you're willing to admit it tonight, that you need God to go after with a tactical flashlight. You need him to slay it. You've got things in your life that need to die. He searches. This word in the Hebrew, it's not a tour. You ever been on a tour? Been in New York City, you get on the bus, and there's a tour guide, and on your right, you know, on your right. Been to Italy, maybe you got on the gondola. It's all peaceful and romantic. You're just taking it all in. That's not what God does in you. He's not a gondola driver, right? He's searching for things in you and searching for things in me that need to be eradicated, that need to be transformed, that need to be changed, that need to be altered because he has our best interest at heart. And this is why I think one of the reasons why God hammers home so much of this unconditional love, it's not as many people embrace it, this idea of he loves me just the way that I am so I can stay the way that I am. No, when we get a revelation of God's unconditional love, it gives us permission to embrace the change that he demands of us because we know his love is unconditional. When you know someone loves you unconditionally, it gives you the ability to trust what they say because you know that there's nothing at stake. When you're in a relationship that's conditional, sometimes there's a little bit of suspicion because we don't know whether or not what they're saying to us is for their best interest or for your best interest. But God, because he's a perfect father, always has our best interest at heart. His love is unconditional, and that love is an illuminating love inside of you, inside of me, and he's searching for the things that he wants to be different. Some of you, even here tonight, you can think of the things that he sees. For some of you here tonight, you you can see the things that he sees, and sometimes you're asking the question, I'm just not sure they could ever change. And that's the beauty of the power of God is that he looks at you as we're going to see in just a minute, and he says it might be impossible for man, but with God, all things are possible. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. I know some of you are thinking right now, how on earth did she get 21,000 points on that game? Catch up with us. Catch up with us. Catch up with us. All right. 10, 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running after him. Come on, may it be for us that we're just always running after Christ. Knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus asks, only God is truly good. He's trying to help him understand, if you're going to call me good, make sure you're calling me good for the right reason, because I am the son of the living God. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. You must honor your parents. He's, right, there's ten commandments. He's working out of the bottom six, all the commandments that relate to people. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. And here it comes, verse 21. Here it comes. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And in the Greek there, the word for love is agape, which is the perfect kind of love. It's the, the kind of love that God has for us, right? It's a powerful story that tells us he loves us because his love is unconditional, but the whole conversation is about conditions. There is still one thing that you have not done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. And at this point in the story, all of us, our hearts ache for him to do the right thing. Are you with me? We get drawn into the story. Even if you've read this story a million times, right? When you read it for the millionth and one time, you're hoping that you've just been reading it wrong all these years and that he's going to do the right thing, right? But at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions verse 23 and jesus chased him down and said that's okay you don't have to do any of those things that's not what it says does it jesus did not run after him jesus does not negotiate jesus doesn't say well if you don't like that deal then i've got a different one for you he doesn't change the terms if you don't like what he says, because what he says is perfect from the first time that he says it. He lets him walk away. As he leaves, his love does not change, but the relationship demands condition, and the condition is so often, I need you to change. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God this amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' day, by the gate where people would come into the, to the city, there was, there was a smaller door off to the side that, that people could come through if they didn't have uh, you know, uh, uh, a cart or, or, or livestock or large animals, and that was often referred to as the eye of the needle, and, and a camel could never get through that. So, so whether or not you want to read the text of, 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 of thinking of a camel to go through the eye of a literal needle or whether or not you want to put yourself in a cult cultural context, which is what they would have understood it to mean, either way, it's impossible. You with me? That was one of the first ways I actually knew that I needed reading glasses when I, I, I had a sewing needle in my hand, and, I, and, and much less a camel, I couldn't even get the thread that was supposed to go through there, right? I needed Andrew to hold it so I could see it, but then my arms weren't long enough to get the thread through it, right? You've been in situations before where they're just impossible. And Jesus is saying, hey, there's some impossibilities in life, naturally. From a human perspective, there's some things that are just not possible. And one of the things I think that he's saying here that is an impossibility is that if you are a keeper, 
there's things in your life, whether it's materially or just stuff you don't want to let go of, sometimes you can hold on to those things so much, and so they even keep you from making a vow of devotion to Christ. But even once you make a vow of devotion to Him, even once you begin a journey with Him, even once you begin to take these steps of being a, a follower of Christ, His love is a candle. It illuminates. It shines. And He's having an ongoing conversation with you. He's having an ongoing conversation with me that says, hey, let's work on this. Let's change that. Let's focus on this over here. Matthew 5.48, be ye therefore perfect. We talk about it as a church all the time. What's your M548 priority? What's the thing that you're working on? There should always be something that you're working on. You know why? Because God's candle never goes out. And His love never ceases. And if nothing can separate you from His love and you're a follower of Christ, then hey, guess what? He's always showing you stuff that needs to change. Not because He's trying to berate you, not because He's trying to belittle you, not because He's trying to demean you, but because He's trying to help you discover something in this life that we call heaven on earth you can't have all of it until you get there but he says hey you can have a lot of it here and now if you just would be willing to follow my lead his love for you his love for me is unconditional but his judgments of us are filled with condition after condition after condition after condition i'm going to invite the worship team to come back up The dominant theme in the Song of Solomon is the revelation of the passionate affections in God's personality. An integral part of this theme is the revelation of the divine kiss of God. The kiss of God became the passion and theme of the bride's life. And I pray it becomes the passion of every one of us. When I talk about the kisses of God's mouth, I'm referring to the words that proceed out of his mouth. The scriptures themselves, the phrase, the kiss of God, is not meant to conjure up pictures of God actually kissing us. The divine kiss is a metaphor for the deepest kinds of affection that God can give to the human spirit. The divine kiss is what tenderizes and empowers our hearts to love God extravagantly in turn. The longing that each of us has to be wholehearted and passionate for God is satisfied by the impartation of the kiss of God to our hearts. Think about it. Deep in our hearts is a longing to be abandoned to God and know the joy of love sickness for Him. She's a great writer. We were made for this, but it takes God's power for us to love Him. It's exhilarating when God gives us the capacity, the kiss, to love Him back. So this is the connection with the anchor. So I want to suggest to you tonight. You've got to decide whether or not you can embrace it. That's, that's your decision. This, but this is what I believe. This is what I live by. That his promise to me, Romans 8, of his unconditional love, it's a reference point on the shoreline of my life. But until I have a heart that is willing to say to him, God, to you I surrender all. May it be, O oh God, that my heart will be one of deference to you all the days of my life that my heart to you would be tender. That whatever you speak of me, whatever you ask of me, that you're only ever going to find one response to me is be it unto me, God, according to your will. Until our hearts get to that place where we love him in turn, 
Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Until my heart gets to a place where I'm willing to surrender my life to him, then and only then does his unconditional love for me become an anchor on the riverbed of life that sometimes stirs up with mayhem all around us. But for me, and I hope for you, that that promise becomes something that bites down into this world. And even if the storm is raging around you, that there is a peace inside of you because his promise to you is your anchor because your heart to him is one of do whatever you want to do in me. And when we allow that love to illuminate us on the inside and go on a journey of him pointing out all the stuff in us that needs to change, all the stuff that we need to put down, all the stuff that we need to pick up, I'm telling you, all the days of your life, that rope is going to be taut and that anchor is going to be deep and that you will have a peace that passes understanding and no storm will ever be able to shake it loose. Stand with me as we worship together.